And our memory verse for the month is found where? And it says, for the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing between huh? soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow, and it is a discerner or critic of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Nothing reveals to your heart any more than God's Word. Have you found it to be like a mirror? That's why it's easy to break the mirror, huh? Some days you don't like what's in it. Are you getting the Word of God tucked in your heart? Hebrews 4.12. We should, we're going to try to coach you through this. We need to do it weekly because adults, it takes hearing it a hundred times before they get it. And so, and anybody get this? Anybody reading? Who's in Exodus? Good night. Is it that bad? Three of you. Let's go again. Maybe my eyes are going. Three are in Exodus. How many are reading the Bible according to our little map? I mean, this is a splendid map. Technicolor, trying to get, you know, I, we got a man in this church. He said he only read it through four times last year. And, uh, and he said, I don't know how to read, but it takes him a couple hours a day. Use this. It's a great little tool. Carol and I try to follow this and uh, outsmart each other on the Bible. You want to know this. Use this. This is, helps you. Did you know the Bible says meditate on the Word? You can't meditate on something you can't remember. So meditation is tied to memory. If you don't know, have you ever read the Bible and said, man, that was wonderful. I don't know what it said, but it was wonderful. That It just won't have any, uh, it'll be a nice feel during the time, but if to recall it, you have to work at getting it in your heart. Amen. We're going to see a final DVD today uh, with Tom Mercer, the author of the book Oikos, and Oikos is simply the word for Well, we'll go again. I said it too fast. It is simply oikos. is simply the word for house, household, family, friends. It's just a fancy Greek word for house. Go to your house, to your house. It wasn't talking about the casa. We're not talking about, you know, casa blanca here. We're talking about your home, your Friends, and very common in the uh, New Testament world, a home could easily contain at least 20 people. Uh, just think of that. No indoor plumbing, no showers, and 20 of you living in a house. That was common. That was common because you, you usually would have your parents, you'd have you and the wife, your children, and if you were a person of any means and a Roman citizen, you would have slaves. Because in the Roman Empire, there's 100 million slaves during the New Testament. 100 million. Because whom they conquered, they would employ as teachers. It was not American slavery. It had a much greater dignity. It was brought you in as teachers. So a household could include at least 20 people. And so we're looking at this book that in your world, do you have at least eight to 15 people that you have a relationship with. And Tom keeps saying, do you think God had anything to do with putting those people in your life? Are they all accidental appointments? Or maybe God has assigned you to be the one that will have the joy and the privilege of seeing them come to Christ. Now, this church, when we stretch it, I mean, if, if everybody that was on our rolls, that's a thousand. We could do that, okay, a thousand people. If you multiply that by 15, that means we would be reaching 15,000 people a week. If everybody had their little network and was praying, sharing, whatever. So we're going to see 20 minutes of uh, 
this DVD, then I'm going to walk you through uh, the little handout. How many of you got the handout? Did you get it? Uh, anybody? You need the handout. Anyone? Raise your hand. Uh, sure. <laughs> Somebody help us. Well, you know what we'll do? We'll hand those to you after we see the DVD so that you can make the journey with us as we fill it out. Okay. In the fall of 1939, on a narrow two-lane country road, Mr. and Mrs. Harold Lane lived with their two daughters, Doris, who was 12 years old, and Mary Beth, who was four. Because there was very little traffic along that road, Mrs. Lane would often allow little Mary Beth to cross the road and stand by the mailbox in the afternoon waiting for her older sister to arrive home on the school bus. However, on this particular day, a young teenager was traveling along that road in his parents' car, and he failed to notice little Mary Beth, who was hidden by some bushes. Tragically, as his car approached the mailbox, Mary Beth suddenly, without looking, decided to go back across that road, and she darted onto the roadway and was hit by the teenager's car, killed instantly. In dealing with the grief of that teenager, Pastor Lloyd Anderson of the First Baptist Church in Salem, Oregon, led that young man to Christ. The teenager's name was Mark Hatfield, the same Mark Hatfield who would eventually serve as Oregon's Secretary of State, two terms as the governor of the state of Oregon, and then 24 years in the United States Senate. During the time he was the governor of Oregon, Mark Hatfield taught a large adult Sunday school class at that same First Baptist Church in Salem, where he helped disciple a young man by the name of Doug Coe. And after he was elected to Congress and moved to Washington, D.C., Hatfield encouraged Doug Coe to join him there and begin leading prayer breakfasts for members of Congress and the White House staff. It was right at that time that the Watergate scandal broke, and President Nixon's chief of staff, Charles Colson, accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. In Colson's book, Born Again, he describes how his relationship with this same Doug Coe was the turning point in his life. Of course, now, through prison ministries, Chuck Colson is leading thousands of men and women who are behind bars to a new life in Christ Jesus. Mary Beth Lane would never meet Chuck Colson. Her short life was lived 3,000 miles away from where Colson was growing up in New England. But what I just described was the picture that God saw back in 1939 from what seemed to be a senseless accidental tragedy to a ministry where God is transforming hundreds of thousands of lives and families all around the world. And the relational connections that God superintended between the people he involved in that entire process formed the foundation for every step along the way. Hello again, I'm Tom Mercer. So much appreciate your willingness to, together again, consider the Oikos Principle. As I've told you during the past couple of weeks, it's the most basic, most productive, yet at the same time perhaps the least innovative idea I've ever heard. I hope you've had the chance to complete the book, 8 to 15, The World is Smaller Than You Think. Again, don't worry if you haven't, but those who have will have a bit of a head start on this next step in our journey. I'd encourage the rest of you to catch up on your reading this week. Relationships are the bedrock of kingdom work. Now you might think that the most important relationship out there is the one that an individual can have with God. But even that one isn't as big as the relationships that God has within himself. The triune Godhead is a difficult doctrine to get our heads around, to be sure. But it didn't take God long to begin explaining it. In fact, in the very first verse of the first book of the Bible, it says this. In the beginning, God, Elohim is the Hebrew word and it's plural. In the beginning, God created, and the verb there, bara, is a singular verb. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Literally, that first verse of the Bible reads this way. In the beginning, they, he, created the heaven and the earth. Now, let me try to explain it this way. Most of us would define holiness as the absence of sin. But it is our recognition of our own sinfulness that frames that particular response. God's holiness predates our sin. So a discussion of God's holiness would not include the concept of sin 
at all. To understand God's holiness, we have to see it in respect to how he exists within himself and himself alone, within the tri-unitarian Godhead. It sounds weird to us, but God can enjoy right or righteous relationships without anyone else around because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all perfectly love, support, and respect one another. And it's those relationships that God enjoys within himself that provide the blueprint for our relationships as well. Relationships that are loving, respectful, and selfless. I mean this. Look at how relationships are the foundation for everything. God shares relationship within himself, reflecting the harmony that he wanted to share with mankind from the very beginning. But our sin ruined that opportunity. Even though God still knew us, our sin destroyed any chance of our knowing him back. And since a healthy relationship is supposed to go both ways, our relationship with God came to a screeching halt. And that's why Jesus came, to give us the chance to once again have a relationship with God. And those who do are called the church, the body of Christ. And Jesus is building his church, thus restoring person by person his relationship with the human race. And the method that he's chosen to build his church is to leverage relationships that we the church have with the world, with our relational worlds. As the church grows in our relationship with God, we mature. As the church focuses on our relationships with our Oikos networks, we are on mission. Those churches, and there are a ton of them, who develop this fortress mentality and choose to simply hang around together, are actually making a choice to pull themselves out of the process of fulfilling the very purpose of the church. You may notice the many passages in the Bible that talk about unity within the body of Christ, unity within the church. And that allows us the chance to better grow in our relationship with Christ as well as follow Him in fulfilling the Great Commission. So relationships are everything. From within the Godhead to the relationship He has with His church to the relationships that Christ's church must have with each other so that we can effectively build God's kingdom through the relationships that we have with our Oikos networks. I guess you could say, relationships rule. And when we seek that kind of relational wholeness or holiness with other people, we are actually reflecting the holiness that God enjoys within himself. So what keeps us from experiencing holy or right or righteous relationships? Well, the answer is easy. Sin does. Our sin compromises our love. It diminishes the respect that we extend to one another and can erase any sense of humility that we have in our hearts. And so defining holiness as the absence of sin is not wrong. It is simply incomplete, even short-sighted. There is an end game to it all, that our personal holiness, which encourages right relationships or interpersonal holiness, would lead people to experience a right or holy relationship with God himself. We tend to read the Isaiah 6 holy, holy, holy passage as simply describing an environment that is sin-free, 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 which, by the way, it absolutely is. But that heavenly setting was so relationally perfect where every creature not only was not doing anything to compromise the relational harmony there, but they were all doing everything required to honor and to support one another. Think of any sin. You can probably think of a number of ways that any particular sin destroys right relationships. Well, that's why it's called unholy behavior. Sin always separates people. Holiness brings people together and deepens the relationship. Our most inspirational example of that kind of holiness is the triune God. And remember, we were created in His image. We were hardwired for holy relationships. A group of researchers tracked 
a group of 7,000 people over a nine-year period, and they found a couple of interesting things. Number one, they discovered that people with weak relationships were three times more likely to die sooner than those with strong relationships. They discovered that people who had strong relationships were four times more likely to fight off illness. And actually, people who had bad health habits, who smoked or ate unhealthy food, but had strong relationships, actually lived longer than those who had healthy life habits, but had weak relationships. So here's your Be Holy project for the week. Work on your relationships. Intentionally engage the people around you with the grace and truth that God showed you and I. We must seek to show love, respect, and humility in all that we do. And it takes discipline to create relational holiness. So we have to stop being so petty. We need to let go of any lingering bitterness or resentment. Our mission is more important than our feelings. The Bible says to do this in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be what? To be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Living out the holiness of God should never be taken lightly. The Bible describes His holiness as so awesome it provokes fear. Isaiah has one look at God's holiness. And what does he say? He says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, when was the last time you saw something that provoked fear in your spirit? One of those, woe is me, kinds of moments. I was watching a basketball game recently where the momentum shifted with one play. The All-American candidate for the home team took the ball, baseline, dribbled past two defenders, jumped over the other three defenders, and threw down a monstrous tomahawk dunk. I've both played and watched basketball for a long time. But this was such a dominating play. It was actually scary. An ominous, ooh, came from the visitor's side of the arena. It was a corporate expression of fear. An audible groan of resignation that essentially said, oh man, if he keeps doing that, we're going to get killed tonight. But on the other side of the arena, you heard that same, ooh, resonate. Only this time through the crowd of hometown fans. And even though it expressed a similar level of fear, it was clearly sending a different message. One that said, oh man, I'm sure glad that guy's on our team. My point is this. The same fear was shared by everyone. But one side responded with negative fear and the other with an expression of positive, even joyful fear. Isaiah actually responded with a negative side of fear as any sinful man in God's presence should respond. But because of the cross, ours is not negative fear, where we are constantly looking over our shoulder to see if God is upset with us. But ours is a positive fear, where we recognize the immensity of our position in Christ and the great responsibility we have to bear His glory to the worlds we live in. When we are willing to humble ourselves before this amazing God, grateful that He is on our side, then commit ourselves to living out His holiness before a lost and desperate world. The bottom line is this, our relationships with people, especially those special 8 to 15 people, are made right. A few days ago, I found myself frustrated by the White House press secretary. I wasn't buying his explanation for something the president had said. But more than that, I was frustrated for him. Being the official whose primary responsibility is to act as the spokesperson for the president, not just the most powerful person in the world, but speaking for his entire administration, that kind of pressure can't be easy. In fact, after I had calmed down about the actual content of the soundbite, I wondered about what this guy's day must look like. Collecting information about actions and events within the president's entire administration and then issuing the administration's official reactions to developments around the entire world, defending everything the president and his associates say and do. I mean, that's what I call a high level of stress, especially when his boss's approval rating begins to drop. 
you'd think the position would be turning over regularly. People quitting as fast as you could hire them. But that's the thing. They tend to stick around, often as long as the president is in office. Because sticking around for a long time is the only way they could ever be good at their job. So many questions are asked on the fly. The press secretary doesn't have the time to prepare an answer. He or she has to respond intuitively, not reflecting what he thinks the president would say, but reflecting what he knows the president would say. Forget the politics. Achieving that level of relationship is an amazing accomplishment in and of itself. When you think about it, that's what we're supposed to do as well. But our loyalty is not to the leader of the free world. It's to the creator of the entire world. We are his spokespersons, collecting information about actions and events within his kingdom, defending everything that we believe he stands for and preparing an answer for the people who aren't quite ready to buy into the company line. Our Oikos networks depend on our accuracy and our clarity. Like the press secretary, we have our work cut out for us. As difficult as that challenge can be, it presents us all with a tremendous opportunity. Every single day, each of us has 8 to 15 really amazing reasons to get up. And the chance to change the world is waiting right outside your front door. Well, let's uh, do the homework. You've got that sheet in front of you. Uh, please pick it up, would you? And write, because we've been having, ever since January, we've been hearing Tom Mercer, a superb communicator, going through the book, 8 to 15. And uh, we want you to put this in your life. We, we start at the beginning of the year because we want this to become a part of our DNA. Uh, this church wasn't started out as being evangelistic. It was a Bible teaching. I, I had a burden for dumb Christians. And by dumb, they were ignorant of the Bible. Not IQ dumb, but ignorance. So my burden <clears throat> was to teach believers as a whole. But when we started this church, a bunch of young people had been saved in the Pinole Valley area in Pinole. And so I didn't lead many of them to the Lord, but I got to train them after they had become a believer. Um, and so that we actually, I along with you have to work hard at doing the work of evangelism. And he told the pastor, uh, Timothy, Timothy, fulfill your ministry, do the work of an evangelist. Interesting. Here he was a pastor, but he said, do complete your work as an evangelist. So how can we take this concept that if you try to reach the whole world, you'll never reach any of it. And so what this Oikos principle says, why don't you be God's ambassador, God's witness to the world of relationships he's given you, thinking that God may have put those people in your life. And uh, let me give you several things. Well, first of all, go the Oikos challenge. Uh, and here's the challenge. Did you invite anybody to come to church with you this week? Don't answer, don't show. Did you invite anybody to come last month? Now, this is the reason many people do not invite people to church. Maybe it's one of yours, or maybe we've just become maybe lazy about it, whatever. But let me give you seven reasons that Mercer points out and we pass on to you. A lot of times, people don't believe it's their job to invite people to church. It's just not my job. Uh, people just fall in the place or they don't. Uh, and they just quit. You know, when you first get saved, you can't keep it to yourself. Uh, do any of you remember that? You couldn't be quiet about it. And pretty soon everybody got tired of hearing it. You know, you lost one set. And many times when you first, I remember, Cab, when you first got saved, I thought, great. He has got 
a network of connections in Pinal that I don't have because he ran with the wrong crowd, just like him. I thought, wow, this is great. And I'd always ask him, have you talked to anybody and had an impact on Jesse and different ones? But what happens after a while, you gravitate away from the crowd you sinned with and ran with because you're wanting to live the Christian life. You're wanting to stay out of trouble. I can't hang with them, right? And so we leave them behind, and then we're over here saying, whoo, man, I'm running with a clean crowd. There's nobody for me to evangelize. I don't get around sinners. That's where I was saved, and many times not even my family, because I want to get close to Jesus, and they don't know Jesus. And I wonder how they ever will know him. Billy Graham's in his 90s. It'd be hard to get Billy there. Who's God going to use to bring the good news to them? Doesn't it make sense he'd use you? Okay. You know what? You tell we're on evangelism. Nobody's got an amen. Because everybody's wondering, why haven't I been doing it? So shared guilt is sometimes relief. So let's all be guilty together. Uh, two, people don't invite people because they, uh, they often fear personal rejection. They, they put their own ego or whatever on the line. They fear they're going to say no to me, and they take it personal. And you must not. Someone said to be a pastor, you need the height of a rhinoceros and the heart of a mother. You've got to take people always being, you know, having a negative opinion, but then you want to remain tender. Well, in, in sales work, you've got to be the same way. No, I don't want your product. doesn't mean they don't, they couldn't enjoy you. They just don't want to buy. That's okay. Don't get over that. It's in God's hands. You're reaching out, and if they turn you down once, I've got certain people in our block I, I invite to all the concerts. I bring, like, at Christmas time. Anything we do, spell, I, they, they see me coming. Okay? Three, a lot of times you don't invite people to a church because the church is a war zone. A, uh, a fussing church is no attraction to anyone. See? And so you say, man, I don't want to bring them to a place we're not getting along. Or there's differences, uh, whatever. Churches go through seasons. They have, uh, my dad gave an old home expression. Uh, he's an Oklahoma boy. He used to say, he never saw doves stay in a tree where coon dogs were fighting underneath. I wonder what that had to do with the Bible. But as a country boy saying, the spirit doesn't hang out where the saints are fighting. He'll let you go ahead and have your fight. And he'll withdraw his presence. And all of a sudden you'll say, boy, the spirit seems quenched in this church. The spirit, what's happened? They lost the spirit. No, they're, no, they're standing on the air hose. They're quenching him. They're, they're, there's strife. There's bickering, gossip, whatever. Whatever church folks do that kills the church. The, you know what? I'm more afraid of a disgruntled saint sometimes than I am the devil. Because they're doing the devil's work. You don't even, the devil doesn't even need to attend because they do. That's called being a slanderer. It's called devil's work. So don't be a slanderer. Don't work against the work of God. Don't. Paul said, if you mess with the local church, God will destroy you. 1 Corinthians 3.17 one of my life's verse for cranks. Don't mess with divine work. And sometimes that divine work is in the midst of problems, sorrows, a Corinthian situation. You may have an immoral brother, 1 Corinthians 5. It was still a church. Was it still a church? Paul called them saints. 1 Corinthians 5, read that. How would you handle that? Well, anyway, 4... They don't feel supported by their church. Would you feel supported around here if you brought a guest or a friend? Well, you better. 
get over it. Talk back to me. Quit staring. I mean, yes, you'd be supported. We wouldn't come up and say, well, well, who's that? And, and, and I won't be doing a sermon each week. Homosexuals are going to hell. Alcoholics are going to hell. Fornicators. No, 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 no. Have you ever heard me do that? We do a message on what the Bible says about sin, homosexuality, any other sin. But you could bring your neighbor. They are not going to be the target. I hope the gospel will be central, that the word will be preached, and that we're not going to pick on your neighbor. It's our job to love your neighbor. Would you be embarrassed to bring your neighbor to this church? If so, please tell us and tell us why. Because we need to get rid of that stigma. We must be friendly to all men. Are, is any sinner welcome to come here? Yes. Now, we don't want to vote them in on the board. <laughs> and I hope they don't become the pastor. And I hope you don't change our view on the Bible and sin, but they are welcome. Why don't you invite them? Would this church support? If not, you need to find every elder, every deacon, and say, why aren't you guys loving sinners like Jesus? And then I'm going to say, and how are you doing at it? Because you can easily become the self-righteous Pharisee church, and God forbid with a house full of many sinners like you, that we'd ever be that way. Meet the chief of sinners. I didn't do everything I could have done, but I keep knowing what I could have done. So I didn't have to rob the bank to know I'm a potential thief. I want to say, have mercy on me, Lord, not I'm just so great because I tithe. Luke 18. Well, let's keep going. Now, by the way, Mercer didn't say any of this. I'm just adding. I feel it. Uh, five, they fear they'll be exposed as mediocre Christians. Others, man, I don't want them to be here in the Bible around other Christians. You know, they feel their own inferiority, their faults. Uh, don't, don't, don't be self-centered. Forget about that. Six, they don't feel like they... Uh, have any non-church friends? How many of you struggle on your making up your list of people that you didn't hardly have anybody that was unsaved in your life? Any? I did. You know, I put down the staff <laughs> who I work with. God, do something for Debbie McMillan. Save Tim Valstrom. You know. Change, uh, if you would just say, Ron Hughes, Lord, we'll, be, we'll give you thanks. Amen. How many times can you witness to Rambo? You know, I work with Christians. And guess what all my sermons are about? Christians. Guess what all my appointments are with? Christians. Guess where all my headaches come from? Christians. So I'm thinking, do I want one more unsaved person to become a Christian? When they're unsaved, I can just say, well, they belong to the devil. They ought to act that way. But it's you I can't figure out. <laughs> you're a Christian? And you're wanting to choke me? See? And so pretty soon you become so ingrown. Every, your whole world is Christians. Can we get along? Can we get along? Ooh, I hope they like it. Ooh, ah, oh, forget those going to hell. We've got to get along with all the cranky Christians. That becomes our focus, getting along with Christians that aren't getting along with God. And if they, you don't get along with God, I'll guarantee you, you'll be a fit to somebody. Because miserable people, when they are not right with God, they're hard to be around. Because they're wounded, they're not right, and they can hurt you. Enough on the martyr speech. Uh, so, non-church, I really had to work on this. I had to fill this out myself. And it was a hard assignment. Uh, I mean, how many times can you put your wife? Uh, you know, I, I just, uh, when I was an evangelist, I got tired of her having to come forward after every sermon. It just didn't look right. But uh, anyway, uh, I think that's a hard one because most people after they've been saved two years have lost that network. 
And here we go. And those unsaved buddies don't want you at their parties because you ruined the party. You want to talk Bible, you don't want to shoot up. So please find another place. And I think the seventh one is so, so powerful, and I think it's where most of us are. They simply forget about it. It's just not on your radar. Well, I'm coming down to sing. Good. I'm coming down to play in the band. Good. Have you ever invited any of your friends? Why, no, I'm going down there to play music. I'm going down there to preach. I don't have time to invite my neighbors. Man alive. Let the Jehovah's Witness do that. What? Sometimes I see Jehovah's Witness, I think, boy, for the wrong message, I wish we had their energy. Their zeal is what I'm impressed by, not the message. And so, uh, there's five things we ought to be doing. Once you make your list, and uh, my friends, I put down um, Charlie and Jenny, Dave and Andrea, Sean Fraser, wife and children. I actually have Adam Demure and Michelle that I've been praying for. You're on my list. Not the lead to the Lord, but you can also include people you want that you want God to use and bless. And then uh, Priscilla, I want your husband's address. God put him on my heart. I want to write him. I'm going to go after him. I don't want him to go to hell. You give me the address. I put down relatives. I put my, my cousin Rudy. I'm concerned about him. And then AJ, Anthony, Brian, JP, Hallie, Cole, Jason, Sinai, Jaden, Nathan, Annalise, Tyrone. Uh, I got a little grandson named Tyrone now. When I prayed over him, I called him Taiwan, but didn't, <laughs> it didn't go over too good as Tyrone. Uh, I didn't know. I thought he was Korean. I didn't know. Uh, Eric, I'm praying Erica will get right with God. I've got a Matt, grandson who married Selena. Uh, should I pray for him? Good night. Their parents, why should I be praying for my great-grandchildren? That's not my responsibility. Huh? Debra, you get them saved. You're the grandma. They don't need my help. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? That girl right there became a Christian at the Assembly of God Church in Martinez when she was eight. And I'll tell you, the refuge for her was her grandma and grandpa Kettner. He took her to church, and this auntie here at 92 years of age was a woman of refuge for my dear wife when her folks were drinking themselves to a divorce. It was her home that gave her refuge. And it was her grandparents who knelt every day before they ate breakfast, old-fashioned Christians. They're the ones that God rescued this eight-year-old girl, said, I want to know the God of my grandparents. Mom and Dad don't want him, but my folks told me about him. Anybody have your grandparents influence you for God? See, I used to, I'll tell you, growing up in Richmond, I remember the days you went downtown Richmond on 10th and McDonald. Anybody remember that? 10th and McDonald. Macy's, Fox, UA Theater, uh, Red Bait Shop down there, Arts Record Store, 6th and McDonald. Anybody go to Arts? Come on. Stole many a record from that place. <laughs> I sure did. When they hit it, boy, I'd steal it. It's one I didn't stop serving time. I had to have the latest. Had to be cool at school. Yeah, I remember all that. But guess what? When I met all those Okies, Arkies, Louisiana, Texas, white or black, there was some kind of religious background behind them. They came from a place where their mama and their daddy, their grandfather, somebody knew God back there. That is no longer true. There's no one back there that knows God. It died off. And in between is maybe a drug mother. Uh, maybe I never met my dad. 
the tragedy of sin that's devastated American culture. There's nobody there to tell them. And you're standing in front of them, and you won't tell them. Or will you tell them? Just your world, just your world. Go for your 8 to 15. Uh, you know what? Uh, the, the one when I looked at our work, I want the name and the address of our Mexican uh, people that are the janitors of our church. I will make it. I want to share the gospel with them. The wonderful people clean our buildings all the time. Beautiful wife. We gotta we gotta evangelize that man. We want him to go to heaven with us. If he works around here. I thought, God just put him on my heart. I don't even know his name. Raphael. See how I can name him. Rafi. Okay. Uh, we got firemen that come around this building. I thought, I need to be sensitive to that. Anyway, who's on your list? Do five things. Make your list. Do you have a list? Eight to 15 people. Barber, whoever do business, neighbors. I got a couple of neighbors. Uh, two, pray for them daily. Just pray for them. Lewis, Lewis Perry Chaper used to say, I'd rather talk to God about men than I would to talk to men about God. I think you should do both. Talk to God about them and then talk to them about God. Okay? So talk to God about them. Open their eyes. Give an opening. Give you the wisdom not to offend and not to be, you know, not have wisdom. But then talk to them. Uh, three, invest in them. Uh, be, be on the lookout for cancer, divorce, a wayward child, a heartbreak, a reverse. In the midst of their pain, why don't you invest a meal, a visit, uh, a letter, just invest some kindness. Just invest kindness. Uh, be there in their most trying moment. I think it's amazing. My folks talk about people who fed them in Kansas, and they still don't know who they were, but the food was on the, on the porch. Don't even know who left it. Uh, have you ever left any food with anyone? I was with a man here the other day in desperate ways, in some ways. I said, I'll meet the need. You, you get what you need. I'll take care of it. it. It's hard to take when you watch grown men break. You mean you care? That's all I'm doing. The gift isn't that worth that much, but I do care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Are we the right folks? We're right on doctrine, but we don't give a hoot about you. We don't have time for people because we're cutting it too straight. Oh, cut it out. Truth never makes you unfeeling towards people. He came full of grace and truth. And the truth was not to club us. He said, I did not come to condemn you. I found you condemned. I came to liberate you. When you show up, does it mean good news or bad news? We ought to bring the good news. Uh, invite them. Invite them to church. And uh, I'll tell you something Moish Rosen taught me years ago is first ask people if you can pray for them. I don't know. I'm trying to be as honest as I I cannot think uh, of anyone that's ever refused me to pray for them. At the bank, wherever. I met one of our men, Lee. Are you here? I met you on the trail uh, in Rodale. We were walking, and he saw me, and I take memory verses, and I was sitting on a bench. supposed to be walking, but I just sat down a little bit. And... Uh, it looks good when I come out, pour a little water on them, and I come through the house. Carolyn, I'm beat. Would you get me something? No, nah, no. Nah, I, uh, I, uh, 
look at these verses, and Lee came up. That's the last name. And uh, uh, when I got ready to leave, it goes to the church here. When we was getting ready to leave, I was getting ready to say, hey, let's pray. And believe it or not, Lee said, Pastor, can I pray for you? And I thought, do I look that bad? <laughs> I mean, what, what gives you? I'm the pastor. And man, he prayed right there by Starbucks. I mean, I was so impressed that he out there in public wants to pray. I mean, I was touched. Can you imagine me saying, no, I don't need your prayers. I, I've seen tellers down, I go to B of A here in Hercule. Hey, young lady was expecting her baby, Susanna. It's her third child. I said, Susanna, can I pray for your child? No, don't pray for my baby. No. Yeah, you mean you care? We had a, a woman here a few weeks ago, a Buddhist, just getting ready to take a tour of India and Nepal to visit all the Buddhist temples and married to one of our men. I said, come here. I'd like to pray over you that God protects you. Would God protect a Buddhist woman? Yes. Would that woman, a pre she said, please do. And then prepare. Just be on the lookout for what God may be doing. Here's your list. Here's your list. Start with uh, your friends. Some of you, that means you have none. Because uh, many people in our culture have no friends. Relationships have gone by the way. Many people dying in a senior's home that no family comes to see. It's a, it's a heartbreaking thing. Neighbors, do you know your neighbors? I didn't say, do you want to know them? Do you know them? Uh, I have neighbors on both sides. One, I, can, I, I can't get an entry. I, I want to talk. But man, been there for years. They never open up. One's a Catholic. The other guy is... Uh, Nothing, but I just can't get an opening. Uh, but I still pray for them, right? And keep looking for that open door. Uh, what about you on the job? I mean, so many of you, are surrounded. I mean, when uh, Evan tells me about working the docks and working with Teamsters in San Francisco, do you think there's any unsaved guys there? I mean, they're all unsaved. There's probably not five guys on that dock that know Christ. Do you have anyone to work on? I said, it's not my job. Not our job. I leave you as witnesses. I leave you as my witnesses. And the word for witness is martyrs. And none of you have ever shed a drop of blood in professing your faith, including me. We just whine a lot. None of us have shed blood. No, we're just a whiny church in America. We're spoiled. I had Frank Griffith tell me last night about a woman that he's preaching on suffering in his church. She came up, she said, I never knew Christians were ever supposed to suffer. I thought, have you read the book of Acts? We usually suffer by our own doing. We put our foot in our mouth, and that's our suffering. But actually suffering for sharing good news, that's something else. So think of the category. What friends in my life? What about relatives? You know, uh, do you care that your mom and dad don't know the Lord, maybe? Uh, children, aunts, uncles, who's going to tell them? Uh, neighbors, your job, school. Uh, our kids are surrounded by kids. Uh, I know Shania... Uh, on a water polo team, and Sean and Deborah driving the team different places, and the kids, I believe it was Easter or something, they had not a clue what Easter was. Do you believe that's possible? They, they, they don't know. They don't know. Uh, we, we are in a pagan country, and, and don't be deceived by mega churches in Texas. There's a whole lot of people that don't know God and we happen to live in one of the most pagan places. So we got a right mission field. Unless we all say, it's so bad, I only watch Fox News and, and everything's bad. Wait, 
when did Fox News tell you what to do? I mean, have we ever had a no-choice election facing us? Who in the world can you vote for and say, this must be God's man <laughs> or God's woman? And you know Trump has got to get it. Palin has endorsed him. You know, what a team. <laughs> See, politics cannot solve what America needs. It's God. It's Christians sharing Christ, sharing Christ, sharing. And I say a lot of times we Christians are like the Yukon River. We're frozen at the mouth. And we need to thaw out. Thaw out and use our mouth to make Christ known. Well, uh, I'm just, I've been as convicted, I'm just as challenged, and I have yet to do it as much as you because I, I've repented before God that I've not evangelized enough. It's something that uh, he taught us and that we've got to learn to do it. Every service was supposed to end with ABC. Remember that? If you're here without Christ, have you ever admitted that you're a sinner and that you've never trusted Christ yet. And you come, came with a mom, a dad, friend. Have you ever admitted your need of God? I'm a sinner, Lord. Have you ever just believed in Christ, give up the old life, repent of the sin that's making a wreck out of you, that's ruining the relationships with God and others? And you say, I receive Christ. I believe him. And then you say, I'm not ashamed of who I believed in. I will confess him. I'll even be eventually baptized to go public that I know this man, that he's my Savior. If you're here without Christ, you just need to admit it and admit that you're a sinner. Believe the gospel that says God, the perfect God, has died in your place and offers you himself. If you take him, he'll be your righteousness and he'll be your ticket to heaven. And then confess it. Don't get engaged to a God. You won't announce the engagement. Tell others, I know him. I know him.